This program was produced by and first broadcast on Radio Kidnappers, a volunteer-based community access station. For more information, go to www.radiokidnappers.org.nz. Thanks to New Zealand On Air for making this program available through funding the Access Internet Radio Project. The information provided or any opinions expressed in this show are of a general nature only and should not be construed or relied on as a recommendation to invest in a financial product or class of financial products. You should seek financial advice specific to your circumstances from an authorised financial advisor before making any financial decisions. A disclosure statement can be obtained free of charge by calling 0800 878 You're listening to Radio Kidnappers, the voice of Hawke's Bay. This is a program called Real Wealth, and it's our pleasure, as always, to have in the studio Nick Stewart from the Stewart Group in Hastings. How are you going, Nick? Very good, thank you. Great to be here. Oh, good to see you, as always. Now, before we get into today's topic, which is all about blue-chip stocks or disruption and diversification, just remind our listeners what the Stewart Group does. Uh, Stuart Financial Group is um, we're a family-based business here, and uh, we've got an office in Wellington, an office in Hastings, and we look after people um, predominantly in this region uh, with their financial planning and their investments and risk management and KiwiSaver. Indeed, and you're in that big black building in Carrima Road. Here we are with the Tartan logo. You can't miss it. And uh, you need to go in there just to have a look, actually, and just see the old motorbikes and that magnificent chair that you've got. <laughs> the chair with 19 legs or something, isn't <laughs> yeah, it? <laughs> it's all about diver- diversification. <laughs> Now today we're going to talk about diversification, but uh, we were just having a bit of a chin wag before we came to wear about what were blue chip stocks back in the good old days. Tell us about blue chip stocks. Well, your blue chip stocks are, you know, your big household names. Yeah. You know, dependable revenue, dependable profit, therefore dependable dividends. Mm-hmm. And they're the, you know, they feature in the press. They're always at the front front pages of the business section. Occasionally they'll make it into the front couple of pages of the uh, normal news but they're you know uh, some people would call them bottom bottom drawer investments you know everyone back in the day used to own some telecom and some telstra Mm. or and and then in turn with the demutualization of amp a lot of people had amp shares as well where did the term blue chip come from now, yeah, that's a good one. That's um, now just refreshing my thinking, recalling a bit of history. I recall it comes back to it's US, US based, and it's the um, I recall uh, what is it? The, something to do with the is it the color? It's the color of the pages that we use to write the script. Oh, right, something like that. Yeah. Because in the US, the really, really smaller, more opaque companies, they're the pink slips. Yes. Uh, pink slip stocks. And are they blue chip stocks because they were almost guaranteed not to lose money? Is that is that what? Well, what I think th- I think the term blue chip just comes comes in a it's it's a term that's come about as kind of industry jargon, and mm. it's become more mainstream. You talk about something being blue chip, um, but I historically a lot of the blue chip companies you know have done extremely well for people over a very long period of time but a lot of people you know to use a colloquialism locally they you know they they bet the farm on the blue chip stock yeah uh, a handful of blue chip stocks i should say might be you know eight or eight or ten names Mm. and the thing is yep they can go well for a period of time but when one goes wrong 
um, you know, they're the type of people, you know, the, the investors that have those, you know, eight to ten stocks, they're the people you see at the AGM shaking their fist <laughs> when something's yeah. gone wrong. Because, you know, like, you know, our portfolios, we own hundreds and hundreds of stocks that gives our clients diversification. Now, diversification is the only free lunch of investing. It is your friend. So, you know, when one of those, um, when one of the couple of thousand companies that we own, something goes wrong with it, our clients and ourselves aren't at the front of the AGM shaking our fists because yeah. we just lost, you know, a tenth or a twelfth of our capital. Yes, indeed. And are blue chip stocks, um, are they in the main high performing and therefore high return or are they a bit like putting your money in the post office where you're getting 3% and you're guaranteed you get 3%? <laughs> yeah, bonus forms. <laughs> yeah. um, well, it's interesting because this actually comes back to some financial theory. Um, very notable piece. In fact, a, a gentleman um, who I know, um, Eugene Farmer, actually won a Nobel Prize for his work on this area. In fact, um, the piece of financial theory is called the Farmer French Three-Factor Model. I actually caught up with um, Professor French last week mm. in Sydney where he was giving uh, a dissertation. Um, that's something you really want to make sure you've had a good night's sleep for because it's quite uh, <laughs> 90 minutes of mathematical problems right. <laughs> and theory is, is interesting. And anyway, what, what, the, um, what it is is that uh, blue chips or um, as, as, as the layperson calls them, blue chips or large capitalization companies as we call them, um, they actually have a long run lower return mm. than small companies or small capitalization companies uh, or value companies. Now, it's interesting. So, so it kind of pans back to your question where you said, well, do blue chip companies have a higher or lower return? Well, actually, long term, they have a lower return mm. because large cap companies or blue chip companies, um, they, they inherently have um, lower volatility, mm. therefore lower risk, and therefore a commensurate lower expected return. Yeah. Because of the fact that because they are more blue chip, because they are less risk, therefore the return associated with them is less over the long run. You mentioned a bit earlier about getting uh, buying blue chip stocks mm. and putting a bit of paper in your bottom drawer and forgetting about it. <laughs> that could be quite dangerous because uh, you've got some good examples about uh, uh, companies that were blue chip. Well, yeah. Well, I, I was just I was doing a little bit of research on this uh, over the last week, and I was thinking about video stores. Mm. Now, I can remember when I was um, younger, in my younger days, in my mid-twenties, I worked for a property development company in the Manawatu and in Wellington. And I can remember the trifecta for doing a development was a, a gas store, so in other words, a place where people filled up for petrol. Yep. Back then, they didn't have their little uh, grocery component. It was just, you know, you got your fuel mm -hmm. and you might have got some milk. Next door to that, you wanted um, a video store. And next to that, you wanted takeaways. Yep. That was the trifecta. That worked really well. Well, you know, that trifecta, <laughs> well, <laughs> yes. one of those animals is, is very lame and is shortly going to be a museum piece, and that is the video store. So if you think, you know, the giant blockbuster, it had 9,000 rental stores in the U.S. alone at its peak in 2004. Mm. It has one left in the world today and closer to home, the old Civic Video Store in Hastings, where I remember going through as a kid, it closed its doors in January of this year. <laughs> so it's gone. So something that was mainstream has disappeared. So if you had 
exposure to that particular sector, either retail or manufacturing, and you'd put it in the bottom drawer, the kind of, oh, we'll buy the stock for the um, newly born grandchild. Yeah, sure. That stock would um, probably gone the way of the dodo, much like you know companies like Kodak. Well, yeah, I mean, I used to work for an organization called Camera House, Ah. which had uh, between 30 and 50 retail stores throughout New Zealand. They were a household name Mm. back then. We had the first mini labs in New Zealand where we printed uh, photos. They were almost a license to print money. You know, Fujifilm, Kodak Film, Agfa Film, all those big names, film, gone by the boards, really. Oh, they, you know, they have. Well, you know, the technology just mm. surpasses them, and their you know the gross profit margin that they um, you know derive for a very long period of time can dissipate quite quickly. I mean, if you think, I'm just another one that I've written down. So if you look at uh, another familiar story, those who enjoy their mobile phone. I mean, mm-hmm. if you look at Nokia, mm. Nokia was the world's largest phone company. It had an unassailable advantage as people saw it at the time. Yeah. And then Apple released its iPhone in 2007. Yeah. <laughs> oh, how things had changed. And Apple is now, you know, the largest company on the planet. Um, you know, Polaroid and Kodak. I mean, they had what was deemed to be an unassailable lead mm. that people, you know, these were mainstream, absolute and utter blue chip. And then they got taken to the cleaners um, by the shift to digital cameras. Yeah. What happens though, um, Nick? I mean, when, like I say, I was in the industry, mm. and I remember going to a, a conference in Auckland, and we saw the very first digital camera. And when you looked at the picture on the screen, it was as pixelated as, <laughs> and you thought that is never going to be a goer. Yes. And then it took over, and it almost took over overnight. So, how would you know that your blue chip stocks were actually at risk? Because it can happen very rapidly, can't well, it? It can. And look. What I'm going to do to answer that, I'm just going to give you an example of um, of a company very close to home. In fact, very close to here. Yes. We're, we're, we're in the Radio Kidnappers <laughs> building and straight through the window, we're looking out at the Heinz Watty manufacturing plant. Um, and, you know, um, Kraft Heinz, if you think about that, that's absolute and utter blue chip. Mm-hmm. Um, relied on by, um, you know, consumers for, um, you know, for cheap, for cheap um, consumables. But... Oh, and, and as well relied on for its um, blue chip status because it, it, it's paid a very consistent dividend for a very long period of time, excellent inflation adjusted growth. However, you know when you we, you know when you look at their best known food products and when they're you know laden with salt and carbs and people are changing their tastes and becoming a little bit more health conscious, the company has had some issues. So, you know, did many people see that? Well, when the world's most famous investor, Warren Buffett, and his Berkshire Hathaway company, when they became the largest cornerstone investor with a Brazilian private equity fund called 3G, when they didn't see the change in Mm. the consumer's preference for healthier and um, private label varietals of the mayonnaise, etc., or whatever consumables they were eating and, and desired, if he couldn't see it, well, how does the layperson exactly. DIY investor um, pick global trends like that? Yes. Um, you know, like um, uh, Kraft Heinz have cut their dividend by 30%. You know, they've got, some, they've got some major issues. Why didn't they see that trend then? Well, I guess they just well, – well, they, well, 
the health trend's been there, but the fact is that, you know, if you look at the price of these staples, these consumables that people like Kraft Heinz produce, you know, like a tin of baked beans, mm-hmm. it's cheap food. Sure. I mean, like, you know, like, like, it, like if you inflation adjust it, um, the consumer's on the winning side of that in terms of price. Mm-hmm. But the fact is that just over a period of time, people have different preferences for food. And... Heinz just, you know, the the company is they stacked it up with a bit of debt, you know, classic private equity play, and whew, and just things have not gone so well. So what happens? Are they too close to their product? Whereas someone like yourself, who's a, an independent uh, financial consultant, mm. you're looking at it from the outside. Would you see that trend before they would? No, because put it this way: every everyone has a crystal ball. Yes. Pretty much what you're asking is, is my crystal ball better than yeah, someone else's? And, and I'm sitting there saying, you know, you're putting me up against yeah. Warren Buffett. I mean, that, that, that is, that's, that's pretty big brutal. ask. It's big <laughs> ask. So instead, you know, we prefer to use diversification. Yeah. So we would say that instead of having those eight to ten blue chip stocks, that you're better to own more of the market and actually let let engineering assist you. So mm. engineering being, you know, diversification is your friend. It's the only free lunch of investing. And choose your exposures very carefully. Like if you want, if you desire a higher return than the market average, then you need to pull on the levers of small and value, being small companies and value companies because they have a long-term premium over the index. I wonder, though, that name Warren Buffett, mm. it, it probably sells his product just by his name, doesn't it? And um, most people might think, "Wow, Warren Buffett's good enough for Warren Buffett's good enough for well, me." Well, yeah. Well, look, you know, there's quite a few people that enjoy drinking um, Coca-Cola, um, using Gillette products, um, enjoying their Lazy Boy chair and their Hoover vacuum cleaner, uh, on the basis that um, you know they're Warren Buffett companies. Yeah. Um, but but that you know that's a long way away from a Kiwi investor, mm-hmm. and and you know a lot of Kiwi investors, you know. Many people owned what were deemed to be blue chip stocks back yeah. in the 1980s. I mean, I, that seems a long time ago, but boy, you know, like um, the old analogy, you know, a cat that's climbed onto a hot stove will never get back onto a cold one. Yes. There are a, a lot of investors <laughs> in New Zealand that uh, haven't gone back to the market and they owned what they thought were blue chip stocks uh, back in the 1980s. I mean, you know, blue chip stocks were BIL, Equity Corp, Chase Corporation, Rainbow Corporation. Oh, Blimey, I mean, not, not, not many of them exist. No. <laughs> well, most of them died at the time. And I wonder a lot of people listening to this program now might remember a program that you spoke about, I think it was last year, Bricks and Mortar, yes. which is one of our most popular programs uh, from our download page. Uh, someone listening to you now talking blue chip stocks, which yes. yeah, in the main fall over, and they're thinking, mm, bricks and mortar, I can see that house, I can touch that house, it's right there. Is, it, is that the good thing about bricks and mortar? Well, bricks and mortar certainly has appeal like that. You actually can touch and feel it. But if, if you're going to use that kind of, you know, the the raw commodity, let, let's think about it like that, where you can actually pick it up and touch it, well, then you could say the same of buying a pallet of tomato estate cholerae mm. and putting that in your yes. carriage, and that's your investment. You could say the same for having a nice piece of art on your wall or your, your E-type jag in the garage. Mm. Very, very similar. But the fact is that these these instruments are e-liquid they're difficult to sell mm-hmm. the, there's um, a lot of price uh, fluctuation particularly on those um, more alternative assets that I just gave you examples of but in terms of the housing you know a lot of people have done house inflation has been 
has been very, very strong over a number of decades. And it's actually common across the... For, just happens to be the Commonwealth or former Commonwealth countries. Mm. So if we look at, um, you know, Canada, Britain, New Zealand, Australia, um, and then and then the... Um, what used to be part of the um, Commonwealth um, have, have also been quite strong. But we're a bit of an outlier. If we look at the non-Commonwealth countries, a house, infra- house uh, price inflation has been not even near half that rate. Mm. Um, so a lot of people um, you know, have done very, very well through that. But that in comparison to, um, say, blue chip stocks or equities, well, the um, equity markets um, for the most part, or depending on which, which market you invest in, um, long term have have done a similar return but with l- liquidity and with better cash flow so so when I mean liquidity, you can transact your shares and receive settlement and trade plus three days yeah. and you are out on the day so if you want to sell today, you can sell today and take the price sure um, and you also get um, you know six monthly or yearly uh, dividends mm. which you know like a lot of people by the time they renovate and nurture their house. Uh, their residential investment mm. a lot of people find that the actual cash flow isn't as much as they thought it would be sure. you mentioned diy investors yeah. uh, are they are they uh is that a terminology that's the guy who's looking at the newspapers or he's getting on the web and he's he's charting the rise and falls of shares himself and then he's saying buy sell or are those guys falling by the wayside and they're coming to see you more and more the, there are always some people that are um diy investors um, there always will be, and those people typically, from from what I see, uh, don't seek out a lot of advice, mm. and that's and that's fine. There'll always be a component in the market of people that are DIY, and that's cool because it takes all types in the market to make a market. Um, but we we are finding that a lot more people want to seek advice, and it's not just on investing. It's not just on oh where do I invest? What stock should I choose? What bonds should I buy? Which country should I be hedged mm. to New Zealand dollars or not hedged, etc. It's more than that. It's about what does my current financial house or financial structure look like? Am I saving enough? Do I have um, a risk mitigation plan? Um, and how long is my capital going to last? Last, e.g. How much can I spend yeah. each week, each month, each year? And, you know, how do I handle my uh, succession plan? In other words, you know, so after you're, you know, buried in a box, yep. how is the business or how are the investments handled with the distribution to the spouse? Uh, and if there's no spouse or there's a spouse, the, the distribution to the children or grandchildren. They're the things that I'm finding that people are asking more about rather than just the ABC of investment, that kind of 101, you know, where should I invest my money? Yeah. What's the bottom line with risk? I mean, uh, we talked about some companies that are no no longer in existence, and unless we kept our eye on what was going on in the market, you know, we might have kept those shares in the bottom of the door, and all of a sudden they didn't exist. So how do do you uh, mitigate risk? Risk. Well, you, the, the easiest way and the most cost-effective way is to diversify, mm. is to hold a diversified position. So I actually had – I ran some numbers I over a um, – I've taken – I did a five-year period up to March, as in 31st March mm-hmm. 2019. I took 16 blue-chip ASX and NZX companies, so that's the Australian Stock Exchange, New Zealand Stock Exchange, so BHP, ANZ, Westpac, Zero, Z Energy, Sky City, you name it. And then I just compared it to a diversified portfolio over the same period, just using 
common exchange traded funds mm-hmm. or just common index trackers. And it's interesting, if you'd invested 250000 in the 16 blue chip stocks five years ago, your two hundred and fifty grand would be a respectable three hundred and fifty today. And most great, yeah. Good we wouldn't complain about that, will we? We'd it's marvelous. Bingo, bring yeah. it on. But if you'd invested in the diversified ETF or exchange traded fund portfolio and managed funds, you'd have four hundred and eight thousand dollars today. Now, yes. there is a little bit of data mining with that because over that five year period, a number of those household names in Australia have been hurt quite badly. Namely, the Australian banks. They haven't performed that well over that period. But, you know, in Australia, everybody owns the Australian banks. You know, because you just, you haven't been able to go wrong for such a long period until recently. Um, And in New Zealand, you know, similar things for, you know, Fletcher Building. Five years ago, everyone wanted to own Fletcher Building. Yes. Today, boy, she's um, a little bit of pain there. She's fish and chip paper. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. But the average person coming to see you, for instance, when you look at that return on investment, mm. if you show them this um, this climb, even with the, the, the blue chip, if you took the uh, yeah. the yellow line out of yeah. it and said, wow, look at this, they're going to say, wow, that's, that's me. Blue chip stocks, well-known brands, and then you drop that other line on top of it. Are people then convinced that, yeah, okay, well, let's go that way, or are they sort of a bit like the average mum and dad thinking, yeah, do I want to take that risk? Or Well, I think I think it's... It's a little bit like storytelling. Storytelling in the sense that when you sit down and explain to people in a really good parable or story about the what-ifs. So in other words, what happens if if everything goes really, really well with your kind of you know, 8 to 10 blue chip stock portfolio? That's fine. But what happens if it doesn't? Mm. What happens if you do have a Fletcher building where the company yeah, you know, has to exactly. actually, not only is it not paying its dividend, or a much reduced dividend, but it's coming to you as a stockholder saying, hey, actually, things have been pretty tough. We actually need to raise some money. Could we get some money off you? Mm. And the interesting thing, well, the difficult thing, and it's very problematic when a companies when companies raise cash, is that they raise it at a discount, or typically raise it at a discount to the stock price. They always raise it at a discount to the stock price when they're in hard times. Yes. Um, and it's often at quite a severe discount. And as an investor, if you don't partake in the capital raise, you suffer what's called dilution. And um, and that can be really unfortunate. And certainly for retirees where they're reliant on mm. dividends and, you know, they have to look after the pennies and the dollars. And they're not in a position to double down on an investment that needs some mm. cash poured into it. That can be really problematic. I mean, hey, it's no different than yeah. the retiree owning um, a couple of residential houses and uh, a tenant comes through and trashes it and the insurance isn't, doesn't quite cover what the, what's required yeah. and they have to somehow find resources to get the house back up to spec. That, that's problematic and that's, that's um, kind of un, unneeded financial stress at a time where you're supposed to be sitting back and enjoying life and we're starting to see a few a few of the DIY folks say I've just had enough this is not yeah. what I decided that I wanted to do I'd prefer that my capital worked for me rather than me working for my capital so diversification is the name of the game diversification yep yep and it's not a set and forget it's nope. always checking in on the financial plan are Review we on it. track how's the spending you know can we make some modifications and I like to use the analogy of sailing, you know, an America's Cup boat—they're all designed to a specific formula. 
I mean, that, that, you know, those rules were put in place by us, the late Sir Peter Blake. So everything was on a, on a formula and very, very tidy. But the boats still, tra- it's amazing. They're all built to a formula, mm. you know, length, width, height, ex- height, etc. And yet, isn't it funny how they just go at slightly different speeds and there's, <laughs> and there's a winner and a loser? <laughs> but it's because of the little tweaks and changes and the enhancements that are made. And I think that's like a portfolio. That's like someone's financial house. It's the small tweaks and the changes to enhance it, lower the risk, get a little bit more return at the same time, manage the expenses. That's the key. Good on you, Nick. As always, our pleasure to talk with you. Just to remind our listeners, we want to come and see you for some sound financial advice. Where are you? Oh, we're at 204 Academy Road in Hastings, the black basalt stone building with a tartan logo. As always, our pleasure. You look after yourself. Talk to same time, same place next time. The information provided or any opinions expressed in this show are of a general nature only and should not be construed or relied on as a recommendation to invest in a financial product or class of financial products. You should seek financial advice specific to your circumstances from an authorised financial advisor before making any financial decisions. A disclosure statement can be obtained free of charge by calling 0800 878 961. This program was produced by and first broadcast on Radio Kidnappers, a volunteer-based community access station. For more information, go to www.radiokidnappers.org.nz. Thanks to New Zealand On Air for making this program available through funding the Access Internet Radio Project.